بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد يوالي نعمة ويدفع نقمة يكافي مزيدا وصلوات الله والسلام وبركاته على محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا وهدى وتقى Welcome to all of you viewers at home and whether you're watching through your television screens or through your smart devices welcome to one and all uh, to a brand new episode of Islamica, we take your questions and seek to provide you with as complete answers as possible as per the guidance of the Quran and the prophetic example وسلم, and based upon the deliberations and reflections of the scholars of the four schools of thought and beyond. We want to speak about the importance of something called husn al-dhan billah the importance of having a good opinion of your Lord a good opinion of God Almighty and the reason why this is something that's important is that it's of course something which is touched upon in the Quran and in the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu himself. The Hadith Qudsi, uh, which is a Hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu narrates it from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala where Allah says, أَنَا عِنْدَ ظَنِّ عَبْدِي بِي وَأَنَا مَعَهُ إِذَا ذَكَرَنِي فَإِنْ ذَكَرَنِي فِي نَفْسِهِ ذَكَرْتُهُ فِي نَفْسِهِ ذكرته في نفسي وإن ذكرتني وإن ذكرني في ملأ ذكرته في ملأ خير منه أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام that I am as my servant thinks of me the hadith is found in Sahih Muslim I I Allah am as my servant thinks of me so so and one of the ayat says فليظن بما شاء so let him or her think of me as they wish because they will find me in accordance with that. Of course, for Allah is the highest example. There's no comparison unto him. And he will always exceed your expectations. But if you think positively of him, you will find yourself being guided to more positive thoughts of him. And you'll find your actions thereby being a reflection of that. And you're therefore the re rewards, the opportunities, the blessings will be uh, commensurate with that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran that those who actually enter into the hellfire were often though would be those who Allah says وَذَلِكُمْ ظَنُّكُمُ الَّذِي ظَنَنْتُمْ بِرَبِّكُمْ أَرْدَاكُمْ فَأَصْبَحْتُمْ الْخَاسِرِينَ Indeed, that was your negative ill opinion of your Lord, your ill opinion of God Almighty. And it was thus you were brought yourself, you brought yourselves down. Your evil thoughts about God brought you down, brought you to be degraded in terms of your spiritual ascent journey, your spiritual journey became degraded. So let us now stop and think for a moment and question the following and probe the following question. Is it not the case that the determining factor between for you and I doing more good deeds or kind of stopping along the way, Sometimes it can be something circumstantial, you know, um, you know you, you're unwell, uh, you're on a journey and the like. Sometimes, you know, work has got really busy and so you can't be as engaged. You still do the fara'id, the obligatory actions of prayer, fasting, etc. But in terms of trying to really put your foot on the, on the accelerator, so to speak, it's that opportunity is not as present. But sometimes there's no impediment and yet it's this whisper in the mind that, mm, is Allah really appreciative of my efforts? Is He really rewarding you for X, Y, and Z? Is the hassle and the struggle and the toil, is that really worth it? Right? And it is those thoughts where you actually 
or sometimes you just forget to think positively that actually this effort is worth it and this effort will translate into extra blessings and the rewards will be eternal. Forgetting that, having that good opinion of Allah is actually what makes a person run out of petrol and, and fuel along their journey, carrying on with the car analogy, so to speak. Um, so the point is, having that good opinion of Allah is absolutely critical. And the Prophet ﷺ, he also mentions in a further hadith, he says, Let none of you pass away except that you're in a state of having a good opinion of your Lord, a good opinion of Allah, an excellent opinion. Husn means a beautiful and excellent opinion of Allah. Now, of course, none of us knows when we're going to pass away. And the next moment is not promised to any one of us. So you can't know in this very scientific manner whether, you know, whether you're going to be, you know, your, your time is approaching or not. But when one's unwell, one tries to increase in good opinions of Allah because that helps one get better. And actually, it helps take us to a point in our thought process where we'll be more positive and we meet Allah while we are thinking good of him. So, inshallah, we will carry on with the questions that were coming through. Um, the first question is, uh, for us today, is uh, one. I can hear my next door neighbor's adhan clock, but this is different to my local masjid timetable. Which one should I follow? Um, and secondly, if it is a recording, do I still repeat the then what the then is saying? So, the question is basically describing a scenario whereby perhaps the walls between their house and their home and their, the, their neighbor's home is not that um, uh, thick or maybe they've got their windows open or the like and they've, the, the neighbor has an adhan clock where you know the preset times the time the adhan is called out so the person is then asking should I follow my local mosque or should I follow um, the clock of my neighbor uh, at risk of perhaps sounding somewhat uh, as I'm being facetious here uh, which I'm not I say I, I could or, or flippant let's say I, I could say to you perhaps the better thing to do is neither follow your um, or either of those in, in a way which is just kind of without any thought but rather apply your thought and try and make sure you pray according to the time of the entry of the salah itself um, the, because the Quran says Pray for the occurrence of those at the entry of the time. Now, how do you know the occurrence of the entry of the time? Practically speaking, if you have contents in your local mosque's timetable, your, if you know that the, your neighbor's uh, adhan clock is set, generally speaking, accurately, etc., etc., uh, then those would be sufficient. Uh, you've got, of course, the channel over here's uh, Adhan uh, as well. So all of these are indicators. Um, and so long as you have confidence that they have, you know, they've been properly looked into, then that's fine. If not, then you try and find out, do a bit of uh, digging around, etc. So, for example, sometimes if you just have a, a clock and it's just going off on the, on the basis of, of a program, it, there's no reason why it should be assumed to be wrong. But it's not necessary that it's going to actually be entirely accurate. So just try and check. Uh, but if, if there are two times which are legitimate, then just try and choose one of the two and stick to it uh, so that you're consistent, inshallah. And Allah knows best. I'll answer your second question after taking this call. Assalamu alaikum, caller. Assalamu alaikum, caller. You're live on air. What's your name? What's your question? And where are you calling from? 
Uh, my name is Aisha. I'm calling from London. Um, my question is related to what you were speaking about just before the Adhan. Okay. Thinking well of Allah. What would your advice be for people that are going through hardship calamities for a number of years, most their lives, and they start to say things um, like things are never going to change, no, ma no matter what I do, there's no hope, etc. Um, my mom, I I hear this a lot from her. She says a lot of things like this, you know, um, every day is the same, nothing's going to ever change. But she still does her prayers and has that hope in Allah. What can, what can, what is your advice for someone who thinks like that, but then also has their hope in Allah? Uh, um, okay. Do you have any other questions, sister? No, it was just related to keeping that hope, even if your calamities last 10, 20 years. Sure. Um, so, thank you for your question. I think the answer I would suggest to you is the following, uh, Aisha. Uh, the answer is, is that there are few things which, the, there are several things, in fact, that a person has uh, the option to resort, the, to take recourse to. Um, but number one, I'd say to you, in your circumstance, and of course I don't know the, the details of it, but just based on what you're saying, and in general terms, something you may wish to consider doing is, which I'm sure you're doing already, is you yourself trying to be a source of hope for her. Now by that I don't mean you're there to save her or, or the like. You know, every person has to try, is on their own internal journey, ultimately speaking. Uh, I hope that makes sense. But for example, there's someone I'm with or I see and they, they, they ha their thoughts are going into that sort of direction, then let's say if, if, you, if one's got fam family gatherings or you know you speak once, in a while, uh, once every few days on the phone or if you sh live together, you may wish to mention some episodes from the seerah or make it such that you listen to the seerah together, a recording. Uh, or just over dinner, you, you mention, oh, I was listening to some seerah and I was hearing about the Prophet's experience in Ta'if where you know he went with so much hope and he came back almost with a sense of dashed hopes uh, because they, they pelted him, they stoned him, والسلام, even the children got in, involved and started chasing him out of Ta'if you know, feeling really humiliated in some, some ways, that's how anyone of us would feel at least. Um, and yet that thereafter, soon thereafter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to one of the opinions within, amongst the scholars and historians, he, thereafter was, soon after that, because uh, they differ regarding the exact timing, of the Isra al-Mi'raj, the night journey, where the ascension, where Allah took him up to the heavens and he experiences that sweetness and that closeness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the salah is given to him and you know he pray, leads the, the, the anbiya in salah the, the messengers and prophets so after hardship comes ease you start to try and uh, embed that thought process after hardship comes ease uh, the fact that after that even uh, as you dislike something sometimes there's good in for you asa wa asa an takrahu shay'in wa huwa khayrun lakum it might be you dislike something and in fact in it is goodness for you because the end result of it will be something uh, you know desirable and, and worth it and and the, and the reverse is true you might dislike something and it's good for you and like something and it's bad for you um, Allah knows and you know not um, the fact that hardships are expiations for a person's sins the hadith of the Prophet not even the, the prick of a thorn no uh, stress 
strain, uh, you know, tension, fatigue, afflicts a believer. Except that Allah will uh, remit from the person their sins and it'll be a source of elevation for their standing in the hereafter. Um, so all of these sorts of things, you want to try and just sow those seeds and remind them and then slowly over time, it might be over a few months, it might be even over a bit more than a few months, you may see some sort of change. Of course, there are other things which are important as well. So depending on, on one's, uh, and you mentioned about your mother, but depending on one's health, taking, going out for a walk, well, there's just a bit of a change of scenery, right? So sometimes the mind gets fixated on the problem, thinking that we can solve the problem. Sometimes the solution to the problem is to accept there's no immediate solution. Um, it's so easy for me to say that, much harder to actually do that. And everyone's situation is ultimately different. And their tests are in accordance with their capacity and abilities. So I think some of these things, they try, they start sowing the seeds of um, hope. And above all, of course, to look at the stories of the Prophet ﷺ, how even in the Quran, Allah mentioned some of them, they're being shaken through the trials and the tribulations, wave after wave, right? Uh, when is the help of God coming? Right? So they were shaken as well in the past. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say this is something that one should become despondent about one's own family member or next of kin who's in this state of mind. Rather, one tries to bring this sort of positivity there. And say to them some sort of easy, positive, optimistic speech. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one to grant all tafiq. And of course, inshallah, make dua for her and we make dua for all. Uh, the people, are, are, are both viewers and non-viewers alike, uh, countrymen, etc. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants hidayah, guidance, ease, uh, and a sense of uh, loving, being devoted to him uh, internally, and they experience the spiritual uh, upliftment of knowing their Lord in this world, and thereby salvation in the hereafter as well, inshallah ta'ala, and Allah knows best. Um, the next question, uh, which we were uh, dealing with was the question uh, whereby the, 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 the questioner says, do I still repeat the Mu'addin's um, Adhan if it's recorded? So the scholars discuss this. Generally speaking, obviously a recording is a, it's a, what we call Fiqhun Nawazir. It's from the contemporary sort of phenomena. That's to say that it's not something that was happening in the time of the Prophet or even in the years thereafter. Um, but the scholars do discuss it and they do differ on the issue. It seems the majority say that one wouldn't requ be required to do so. But some scholars said still the words are still the same, even though there's no physical person there alive at that, you know, who's in that moment saying with intention, uh, which is usually, you know, is a requirement for the adhan itself. There's no harm in you repeating it. But I'll just add, if any of you have the adhan playing at home, I still encourage you to try and do the adhan yourselves uh, in person as well at home. Um, it's something which is a good dhikr, it's a blessed remembrance of God, uh, it dispels shaitan, uh, you know, it clears the mind often for a person and re-awakens um, their iman, uh, and it's excellent, uh, if you like, pedag pedagogy for one's kids as well, tarbiyah. So uh, I hope that's answered that question as well. Next question is, um, Masjid follows Shafi'i fiqh, and in the Fajr prayer, they do du'a al-qunut every salah. My concern is that they've made it a condition of the salah. Should I continue to pray there or pray fajr elsewhere? 
No, you should carry on praying to Salah there. Um, yes, it's true there's a report which uh, one of the uh, Sahaba says to his son, um, he says, uh, oh, my father, did you find the process from doing this? And they said, uh, it's something which is, uh, you know, novel. Uh, I it wasn't he what he remembered from the process. I mean, he's saying this in his elderly old years. Um, on the flip side, you have the reports of the Prophet that he made this dua al qunut, uh, which was done, and this hadith in Sahih Muslim and Imam Nawi's comments on it, uh, and many others as well, of course. That um, the Prophet the had certain Sahaba. They were known as the Qur'at, he trained them up, taught them Qur'an, etc. He sent them to a tribe uh, to, because they'd written to him or they'd ask for some teachers to come and teach them about Islam and tell them, give them some info about it. And they, he sent some of his best, most learned people and they were massacred tragically and horrifically at the hands of these uh, evildoers. This tribe that actually, that, that you know, really betrayed their own, the trust that, that was given to them by, in essence, uh, you know, sent as ambassadors of Islam, of the Muslim community, and they were uh, savagely killed. Then the Prophet ﷺ imprecated. He made dua during the Qunut in the various salawat, and it was said that he, in, in, in some of the salawat, and in the Fajr salawat specifically, and um, some then said he did this for a month, and it stopped there after others were of the understanding or they interpreted it to mean he kept it up till the rest of the life just doing qunut, not necessarily praying against the tribe after a month but uh, basically keeping up the qunut prayer and so this is a position not just of the Shafi'i school of thought but also of the Maliki school of thought there's a difference between the way the Malikiya do it and the Shafi'iya do it Shafi'iya will uh, obviously raise their hands as well but they'll do it jahra, audibly, loudly Whereas the Malikiyah will be a, a, a silent qunut uh, uh, that's done as part of the Fajr prayer. Both consider it something which is uh, meant to be done uh, within the, the, the prayer. But both are doing it, believing it's part of the Sunnah of the Prophet So basically, out of the four schools, two are doing it and two are not. And yet all four schools are ultimately trying to follow the example of the Prophet And all four are resting or, or leaning on, relying on, a textual evidence and, and a practical evidence, uh, also in the case of Malikiyah, um, regarding what they believe the Prophet had instructed them to do. And given this is a well-founded, well-established, you know, hugely dated sort of position, it's well-established, founded with, you know, within the schools of thought and predating the schools of thought as well, by the way. It's not just that it started when Imam Malik and Imam Shafi came out. It was going from the time of the Tabi'een and so on. The, uh, the followers, following the companions, etc. So it's something which is is not to be kind of denounced in, in such a fashion. In fact, um, one of the sc four schools of thought which does not opine that it's something to be done or or correct even, and that's the, the Madhab of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal, the Hanbali school of thought. Imam Ahmad was asked about this by his son, who was also a scholar, Abdullah, um, or Salih, he had uh, more than one son, and there were narrators of his Madhab amongst other people as well. And they, he stated that rather if you are there, you, not only are you meant to follow them, but also if you lead that community, for example, let's say uh, I, I'm a non-Shafi, I'm not a Shafi in terms of my training or in terms of the view I follow, but if I were to lead a community that's Shafi, then I should actually even 
be able to do so for the sake of ta'lif al-qulub, keeping the hearts united on an issue where there's no clear halal, haram, you know, haq and batil, right and wrong and falsehood in the absolute sense, where there's an ijma, there's a consensus uh, or, or, or the like. So he, to, to do so, be that with the, the qunut and fatiha, be that with the issue of, for example, reciting the bismillah out aloud, the bismillah rahman rahim So when, uh, as an imam, I would say Allahu Akbar, I would make the dua al-istiftah, and thereafter, you know, in three of the, of the in, in the majority of the madhahib, you, you just start Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. In the Shafi school, you start Bismillah Rahim, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. So you're meant to actually kind of do those things, which will be legitimate views. At least this is something for a person to do from time to time. It's not an issue. And if you're praying in their mosque, you pray with them. And this is not a reason to separate and differ and to and to forsake one mosque for another mosque in, in, in its own right. Uh, these are all part of uh, the Sunnah of Sunni Islam, inshallah, and Allah knows best. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.